0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. In the name of the one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Receive it. <clears throat> a lot of things I miss about the Advent. Uh, One of the things is the music, and that organ, and Charles Kennedy, and my man, Fred, I I hope you realize what a a wonderful asset that is. I'm going to read now from Galatians chapter 2, beginning at the 10th verse. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. In John Bunyan's wonderful classic, Pilgrim's Progress, there's an intriguing uh, encounter that takes place in which uh, the character Mr. Ignorance catches up on foot with a man named Hopeful and the protagonist of the novel, Christian. And as Ignorance approaches Hopeful and Christian, uh, Christian greets him by saying, my friend, how are you doing? And how is the relationship between God and your soul? And kind of shook, sh- shrugged his shoulders and looked from hopeful back to Christian and said, well, I, I hope that it is well, at least for now. But think for a moment about his reply, that I hope that it is well for Now, think for a minute about that. Ever since I've read that, I've kind of adopted it as a way that I greet people. Uh, Just by asking, you know, hey Jim, it's been a while. How are things going between uh, God and your soul? And I I do it perhaps too often. uh, And not everybody necessarily uh, is ready for a question like that. But I, I, and, and some people think I'm really weird. <clears throat> uh, and I probably am, uh, but I ask you this morning, really, how, what is the relationship between now, right now, between a God and your soul? Well, John Owen, he's a great Puritan, uh, a pastor and theologian, he said something, uh, in, the death of death and the death of Christ. He said, Satan's greatest strategy is making people think that they have plenty of time before they die to consider their eternal welfare. Could that be true of you? It's true of many. If not, true of most. If you've studied or are familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that it has has some unique and intriguing features. Uh, The preacher, Koheleth, uh, as he is called in Ecclesiastes, is the one who said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity, which is certainly true in a world without God. He also said there's nothing new under the sun, which is nice for us, I think. It's nice for us to hear, especially these days and times. But he says one other thing as as it relates to what I want to talk about this morning and that is this afternoon, that is, he said, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. What do you think of that? It is better to go to a funeral than to a party. Now, few people enjoy a party more than, than, than I do. But it is better, he said, to go to a funeral. Why, why would our scriptures say that? Well, let me quote Mark Gentilette. Funerals have a way of rousing us to the fact that we are in a battle of time and time is going to win. Mark, are you here? No. Okay. He said he would be here. <clears throat> Funerals have a way of arousing us to the fact that we're in a battle of time and time is going to win. And I would say that that Christians comment to Mr. Ignorance and uh, asking that question, how is, what is the relationship between God and your soul is the most important uh, questions that That we could possibly ask ourselves, especially considering the brevity of our lifespans. Drinking whiskey and rye, this could be the day that I die, it's just the truth. And wouldn't you want to know that all is well with my soul, not just for now, as ignorance suggested to Christian, but always and forever, regardless of whatsoever defilements we may have contracted in the midst of our earthly life. But here is, again, the Christian gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Period. Really. Period. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Wait a minute, they say, but you don't pray enough. You don't study the Bible enough. You don't go to accountability meetings enough. You didn't get circumcised enough. You didn't do a bit more than the dying thief. And we know where he is. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And this, at the bottom line, was the the motivation of St. Paul. This was the gospel that he was given to preach. And the resurrection of, of our Lord turned the world upside down, and Paul was the man to spread the word. And despite enormous hindrances and hardships and attacks and threats and beatings and snake bites and Shipwrecks. He traveled over 9,000 miles, mostly on, by boat or, or by foot. He took the gospel message from Palestine up the coast there to, all the way to Antioch, to what is now modern-day Turkey, Macedonia, Greece, and to Rome, 9,000 miles, the entire Mediterranean world. And Paul did, this is Dorothy Sayers, Paul did not talk in beautiful phrases, nor comforting sentiment, nor vague aspirations to loving kindness, nor the promise of something nice after death, but the astounding assertion that the same God who made the world, lived in the world, died on a cross, raised for our justification, believe on our Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved was it, was, correct me if I'm wrong, was it Muhammad Ali that said he didn't want anything that he couldn't earn? It was discussing his faith over and against our, our faith. But it was a radical way of thinking <clears throat> in the first century. And it's just a radical way of thinking today. <clears throat> it's a radical way of thinking since time immemorial the first two human societies of which we have any kind of reliable or detailed record are <clears throat> Babylon and Egypt and it was clear to them that there was a, a, a master mind behind this world that there was something else some unseen being behind their world. Now, most of these thinkers uh, were, were theist. That is, that they, they believed in a God. But they also believed that whoever this God was had a general plan, a moral plan for the human race. And, and that included with what rituals, possible rituals or works they needed to, to appease this God or the, those gods. Surely there was something some law, some penance, some dedication, some way to stay in con- contact with and, and stay right with this unknown God. As the author of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. And the gospel is, is still so radical. Buddhist state, full path. To get right with God... All you have to do is have the right view. Here's the eight-fold path. Right view, right intentions, right speech, right actions, right livelihood, right effort, right concentration, and right mindfulness. That's all you got to (laughs) do. But when they have the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code, But you name it, they all have a way of getting right with God, to earn God's approval. And it's only Christianity that makes God's love totally unconditional, unmerited, unearned, to the undeserving, no asterisks, no small print. Do you believe that? I mean, that's my kind of prevailing questions. Do Do you? I know you know it intellectually. You've heard it from this pulpit, you know, over and over again. We sing about it. But there are many things that people know that they don't believe. I'm talking to someone other about original sin, and when I started talking. I said, Yeah, yeah, I, I know that. It's just that I don't believe it. It's hard to believe this this, this doctrine of the cross that promises free instantaneous, perfect, irreversible, everlasting pardon to those who will just turn to Jesus and say here I am and have I mentioned there's nothing else to require nothing from nothing leaves nothing well many Gentiles in Galatia received this uh, gospel with amazement and joy Paul had visited there as I, as I mentioned and they were, they, their lives were transformed. And some of these Pharisees, some of the, we call Judaizers, who believed in the Messiah, they believed it, Jesus fulfilled it. Uh, but they insisted that these new Gentile converts needed to be circumcised or eat the right foods, in essence become a Jew, or else else salvation was doubtful. It just goes with who we are. And how we're conditioned. Here's a little one-liner or two-liners from George Whitfield, friend of John Wesley. It is as natural for us to turn to a covenant of works as for the sparks to fire fly upwards. We have had so many legal and so few grace, free grace preachers for these many years that most now seem to be settled upon their laurels and rather deserve the title of Pharisees than Christians. It is as natural for us to turn to a covenant of works as for a spark to fly upwards. And we are all recovering Pharisees, I believe, in my heart. I was asked to participate in a lecture series in the Diocese of Florida a couple of years ago uh, and after my talk which is basically what I've talked about yesterday and so far this morning uh, one of the participants uh, suggested that that I should ask people to be unrelenting in preaching the gospel and he says to me he said Frank I, I agree with what, what you were saying uh, but I feel my con- my congregation knows that and I feel like we need to do I get in? Go, go deeper. Yo, that's the word he said. Go, let's go deeper. And I said, deeper? I don't know. I it doesn't get much deeper than this. He said, but I, our people already know about justification by faith. They already know about the gospel. Well, the greatest threat, one of the greatest threats to Christianity, even in churches that formerly affirm sound teaching and preaching is what the british evangelical david gibson called the assumed gospel you know people say from time to time we don't need to hear about the gospel of forgiveness so much we already know that i mean let's move on well don't buy it don't assume that just because everybody's heard the good news now that we can move over to other things because if we do we'll end up exactly where the galatians are work and that's what makes our faith so remarkably wonderful luther said this is the reason why it must be taught in Christendom." he's talking about the passage of you foolish galatians he said as long as we live here before we shall have nothing to do to learn this no one need to look for anything higher anything newer anything better I'm going to close with a a bishop friend of mine's famous sermon, John Howard. It reminded me of of this wonderful old movie called The Best of Everything. There's this pretty small town young girl and she's in the big city and she dreams of having real love and, and having a family in the big city. And an attractive, wealthy, playboy type, just sweeps her off of her feet. Uh, he seduces her, she gets pregnant. He tells her that they're going to get married, picks her up on what she thinks will be her wedding day. But instead he's, instead of heading to a chapel, he's heading to, the, to an abortionist. And the devastated, heartbroken, uh, young girl jumped out of a speeding, the speeding car, uh, but was not killed. However, she did lose her, her baby. Uh, she was cared for and ministered back to health by a young doctor. And of course, the doctor fell in love with her, asked her to marry him. And here's the, here's the real bottom line here. As the two of them drove, the young woman and the doctor drove off in his car, this time headed to an honest-to-goodness uh, chapel to be married. The young girl's roommate was looking down from her, her apartment, looking down on them pull out, pull away. And she says, think of it, meeting someone who knows all about you, just as you are, and still loves you enough to marry you. That was, that's the way the movie ended. But there it is. Think of it. God who knows all about you just as you are and still loves you and calls you to be his beloved child. Now before I sign off today, please don't let anyone tell you that the preacher uh, is indifferent to Christian good deeds, to Christian good works, Against morals, because I promise you <clears throat> that that I, I'm pretty much like the guy in Mark Twain's old story. You know, the boy, uh, his, his son went to church uh, that day, and at lunch, uh, his father asked him, said, "Well, what did the preacher talk about?" And, and the boy said, "Sin." He talked about sin, and the father said, "Well, what did he say about sin?" And he said, "He was against it." Well, my only point is that your preacher today is against sin. I'm against ignoring God's holy laws. I'm I'm against good. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm all for good deeds. So yes, there is a role for God's holy law in our lives, and God willing, that's what I'm going to talk about uh, some this morning. I'm going to talk about it some tomorrow afternoon, is when I'm going to talk about it. But suffice it to say now, sola gracia, by faith alone, by grace alone, believe it, be thankful for it. May God draw reluctant hearts and now give doubting souls courage to believe this. For Jesus' sake, amen.